topic this morning will be the Great Commission ending. And we find ourselves at the end of the book of Mark. Before we get there, I just need a moment of prayer, if you would. Would you join your hearts with mine and let's pray together. We, where we come to you this morning with fullness of heart and anticipation. Lord, you personally know my heart, and so, Lord, you know what's on my heart this morning, and I know that you know each of our hearts. You know the anxiety and the heaviness that we feel. You know where our minds are wandering, even in these moments, to what's ahead and what's unknown and what fears are assailing us. Lord, I pray right now, in these next few moments, that you would lay aside every weight and sin and distraction and heaviness of our heart. Or would you allow the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart in these moments to be pleasing to you? Lord, I need your direction. I need your help. Lord, we look to you as the author and the perfecter of our faith, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As you're turning your Bible to Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. We began this journey through the book of Mark on January 10th, 2021. I never thought in a million years that it would take us this long to make it through 678 verses of the Bible. We've had a few detours along the way with the fire and different things that have allowed us to make little winding pathways, but here we are, 61 sermons later through the book of Mark, and we've made it. You've made it, right? we've, We've made it. We're at the end of it. We've made it through, and to the best of my ability, I've preached all 678 verses the best that I can, not chasing too many rabbits or going down too many trails, but trying to be true to God's word and what the original author was trying to say. And I just want to say as pastor, I'm proud of you for walking through and knowing that every verse from this book has been read aloud, and we've looked at every verse. And This is what we're trying to accomplish here as a church, to read through every passage of Scripture in the context by which it's written, to memorize God's Word together, to know every week when you come back here, what are we going to be talking about? It's going to be God's Word, and where we picked off last week, we're going to start up the next week. And so I just want to say, I'm proud of you. Thank you for sticking with me. It's been a lot longer than what I thought it was going to be, but we've made it to the end. And so I'm just say where we're going next is uh, we're going to take a few weeks and I think next week is Graduate Sunday and then the next week is Mother's Day. And as we come to our uh, end of the, uh, this kind of the school year and we begin summer at Memorial Day and have our one service schedule on Sunday morning with Sunday school at 9, 9 o'clock and worship at 1015, we're going to go and look at Genesis 2, 3, and 4. Look at a sermon series on just in the beginning. How did God intend things for there to be for male and female and uh, for marriage and for the perfection of relationship in the Garden of Eden? So we're going to look at Genesis 2, 3, and 4, and we're just going to have a good series through the summer. It's just going to be the summer, all right? It's not going to extend beyond that, but just through the summer. But part of the joy of looking at the book of Mark or looking at Scripture in the context it's written is you, you pull through stories like Peter. The past few weeks, my heart has just been taken with the, the thought of Peter and how over the course of several weeks, we saw Peter's life played out. We saw the highs of Peter. We saw the lows of Peter. We saw Peter saying, I would never deny you. And there he is denying Jesus. And there, 
the angel would say, and even tell Peter. This is why it's good for us to read scripture in light of the context that's written, because you see the fullness of what the author is trying to get across to us. And so I'm thankful that here we are on this April the 30th of 2023, finishing up the book of Mark, and we find ourselves in a unique situation in Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20, because I would guess in your Bible, you see a footnote or brackets, or it's possible even that your Bible does not even include verses 9 through 20. And so we, we need to address this for just a moment because it's a little bit peculiar that everybody would end on Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20, when most of your Bibles would have a footnote saying these verses probably are not even supposed to be in your Bible. What do we do? Well, I, I don't want to just gloss by them, but you would see in your footnote that the earliest of manuscripts do not include Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. That if you look before it, that most commentators, most Bible experts would say that Mark ends with, uh, the gospel of Mark would end with, verse six, with chapter 16, verse 8, where they were, uh, went out and fled the tomb for trembling and astonishment seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. End of gospel account. It seems a little bit abrupt, doesn't it, that the gospel of Mark would just end with, they're scared, they leave, they don't know what that would be where the story ended. Nevertheless, we have a series of numerous manuscripts. We know that the Bible was not written in English. The Bible was written in three primary languages. And we have multitude of manuscripts which copyists would take and then take our copy of God's word from those early manuscripts. Some of the later manuscripts that were written included Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. But most all of the reliable earliest of manuscripts ended with verse 8. But rather than just stopping there and saying, well, we have some other passages that maybe we're not supposed to be in the Bible, I would like for us to do what we do when we have difficult passages of Scripture. You take simple passages in the fullness of God's Word, and you help uh, understand these somewhat difficult passages. So with that in mind, verses 9 through 20 are not verses that we would take a full hermeneutic and build our theology upon, verses 9 through 20, but there are helpful verses in here because essentially we have the Great Commission. So let us look then at verses 9 through 20. Now when he rose on that first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, and they mourned and wept. When they heard that he was alive and had been with her, seen by her, they would not believe it. And after these things, he appeared in another form to two of them, and as they were walking into the country, and they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Verse 14, afterwards he appeared to the eleven themselves, and they were reclining at a table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them, for they lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and set down at the right hand of God. And when he went out, he preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. 
So let's take this systematically. If you look back for a moment, you see, and, and we're going to take Matthew 28, 16 through 20 to help us decipher some of these passages. So if you would, kind of turn in your Bible over to Matthew 16. Keep a finger right there in Matthew chapter 28, 16 through 20. It's familiar to you, I'm sure. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountains to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now in both these passages, we see number one on your outline or the first blank on your outline is the post-resurrection mixture. That's a weird statement, but let me define it for a moment. You got the post-resurrection mixture. And it's possible that you may feel a little bit of this as well, that you leave Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. It's been two weeks, and there's a lot of joy in your hearts that we're celebrating the resurrected Lord, right? Things are good, right? We're celebrating that Jesus is alive, and death has been defeated. Sin is no more an issue for us who are in Christ. There's so much joy in the resurrection. We're just living it up, excited. Everything is good. We want to go back there to Easter. But there may also be some of you who have this post-resurrection Easter feel that you see in the disciples in verse 28, verse 16 of chapter 28, verse 16 of Matthew. Now the disciples went to Galilee. And in verse 17, it says, when they saw him, Some worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, I find this extraordinary in both Mark's gospel. You see that there's a hardness of their heart to accept Jesus. And in Matthew's gospel, you see that some, as Jesus appeared before them, some saw and worshiped Jesus, but others still doubted. I find this hard to believe, right? That Jesus would appear in front of the disciples, that Jesus, who they followed, they walked with, Jesus is appearing before them in his resurrected state. Some are worshiping and bowing down in front of him saying, Lord Jesus, and worshiping, yet others are. How others are still doubting. Uh, This is, in, in my heart, still a little bit flabbergasting, I guess you could say, that You've got the resurrected Lord right in their midst, and some are still doubting. And let me just give you who may be sitting here today, and you've seen the work of the Lord, the Lord of the work, the Lord of the word of the Lord has been true and real in your life, yet there's moments in your heart and in your life where there's still these mixtures of doubt in your soul. I've been there. Feel it. Even though I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, I I worship, I know the Lord is real, that he is with me. There are these moments that creep into your soul that just, you feel, Lord, I know, but there's still some doubt in my soul. It's true of the disciples, it was true of those who followed Jesus, and here you see, what is Jesus going to respond to them? Let's look at these elements of the Great Commission that Jesus is going to give, even those who are doubting Jesus at the time, Jesus is going to give them a Great Commission command for them. So let's unpack the Great Commission together. And I know that you've probably heard many a sermon over many years on the Great Commission, and my heart would be this morning that you would not just tune me out because you've heard a thousand Great Commission sermons, all right? It's easy to do. 
If I were sitting there, I'd probably say I've heard this before as well. So let's, let's dive in together. I promise hopefully there'll be some new things that we can look at together. The elements of the Great Commission. Number one, go therefore. Go would be the blank that you'd fill in. Go therefore. And this would be the moment that when you see the word therefore, you would see what it's... Come on now. When you see the word therefore, you see what it's... Come on, thank you very much. All right, so when you see the word therefore, you always see what it's there for. And what did Jesus say right before the words? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. This is the therefore. Okay, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to Jesus. Jesus, therefore, is the greatest authority that could be given. There is no higher authority than Jesus. He has authority, therefore, over heaven and earth, over the birds and over the fish over the skies and the cosmos and the deepest of the oceans, over the weather, over the rain and over the the snow, over the mountains and over the valleys. He has authority over kings and over Congress. He has authority over everything that we see. He has authority over viruses and sicknesses. He has authority over cancers and death, authority over all things. Jesus is supreme in his authority. And so what he gives us is our calling. And if you were to go back and say, Mark, over the course of 61 sermons, what would be one of your takeaway moments from the book of Mark? It would be the authority of Jesus, the authority of God's word. We've seen it over and over, and I've drawn attention to it over and over and over again that Jesus spoke very beginning in the temple. He spoke with authority, like unlike any that anybody had ever heard. He had authority over the wind and the sea. He had authority over sickness. He had authority over all things at all times. Jesus is the authority. So I want to pause for a moment because we're living in a culture. We're living in a day and a time that the authority of God's word would be good for some things but not for others that we would sit under the authority of God's word so long as it lines up with the cultural trends of either what we want, what our culture wants, or what our flesh wants. We'll sit under the authority of God's word so long as it doesn't interfere with what we want or what we desire. We'll sit under the authority of God's word so long as it fits nicely with what we desire. It reminds me of time of our children. Our kids know very well that uh, they know where the cookie jar is. They know where the snacks are nowadays. And so they'll go in and they concoct all these incredible plans of reaching the highest cookie jar, reaching the candy jar. And they pull this thing down and they'll come to us because they know well enough that they better ask before they partake, right? I'm not looking forward to that day that they can sneak attack the cookie jar. Uh, We know now, but they come down and they come to us and say, hey, dad, can I have a cookie? down at the watch and say, son, it's, it's four o'clock. We're going to eat dinner in a little while. I probably don't need a cookie. Well, this, these cunning kids recognize that mom has not overheard this conversation. So they then take the cookies and go find mom. They go seek out another authority that may give them the answer that they want, even though I am an authority in our household. They know dad is an authority. So when I say no, it's not what they want to hear. So they will go find another authority that would give them the answer that they want. So mom, go into mom, say, mom, can I have a cookie? They would say, she would say, I'm about to cook dinner in just a moment. It's probably not a good time for a cookie. No. Well, these kids, 
even though they're six, four, and two, can really get cunning. They'll go find an iPad and they'll call a grandparent. Hey, Grammy, Al, can we have a cookie? Well, Grammy lives three hours away, but Grammy will find a way to get this cookie to this child because Grammy is also an authority and Grammy may be the ultimate authority or Al may be the ultimate authority and they can get that cookie to that kid, right? And I know it's a silly analogy, but at the same time, we, we find ourselves doing much of the same thing. We recognize and we want to as God's word. It's our ultimate binding authority as believers. There is no greater authority than God in his word. Our feelings are not our authority. Our cultural whims are not our authority. So when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me, it means we're, we're bound by what he says as his followers, that there is not another authority that we would go to, that we would not say, I, I see what God's word says, but let me go find somebody to tell me what I would rather do with my heart and with my life. God's word is our ultimate authority. So all authority on heaven and on earth. So with this, if go therefore, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, then what is he gonna call us to do but go therefore? You see, because of his authority, he is calling us then to go. Now the word go in your uh, ancient language would be as you go. It's not a one-time thing to say, let me make an appointment at 4.30 tomorrow. I'm going to go and make disciples. I'm going to come back, and then the Great Commission is done for the day, right? Finished. The word go in your Greek would mean as you're going, meaning every day, at every moment, your calling is to make disciples. It's not bound by a particular place or a time or a circumstance. Your calling as a believer is to, as you're going, you're making disciples, as you're going to the store, as you're going to your job, as you're going home at night, as you're making dinner, as you're going on vacation, as you're going on mission trip, as you're serving at the master's garden, as you're serving at the caring center, as you go, you make disciples. This is a little bit weightier of a task rather than I've got one week out of one year that I'm gonna go on a mission trip and I'm gonna make disciples, and then I'm gonna come home, and the rest of my life is shielded from the Great Commission. As a believer, no matter what age or stage you are at, you are called as you go to make disciples. This is why we leave this place, singing the doxology, commissioning one another out to do the Great Commission. You are commissioned from this place to go therefore and make disciples. Whether you're a teacher at a school, whether you're a, a supervisor at a job, whether you're a nurse or whether you're an educator, whether you're a student, your calling, friends today, as a believer, ordained by God, is to go and make disciples. Sometimes that looks like going to the ends of the earth, but sometimes it looks like going to your children and making a disciple. Sometimes it looks like going to your job and saying, God, who is it that you put along my pathway that I can make a disciple of? Because let's see, this next command is baptizing and making disciples. The emphasis is always on make disciples. The command, the strongest part of the Greek is make disciples. Baptizing and making disciples. I hope that if you've been along around this church for any number of years, you know our church's mission statement 
If you've been along around here long enough, I hope that you could say it quickly and easily. What do we do here? But bring them in, build them up, and send them out, right? That's what we do. Bring them in as what? Evangelism. That we want to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We want people to connect to Jesus for the very first time. You as a believer are called to baptize people in the name of Jesus, to tell people the good news of Jesus. That is your primary calling, is to tell other people about Jesus. Bring them in. We, we bring people in through evangelism. But we don't just dunk you and say, we're done with you. We don't baptize you and say, we're done. We baptize, bring in to build up, meaning through discipleship, through training, through walking beside people, through building up, through walking through Bible fellowship classes, walking through life together. We build one another up to ultimately not sit in a pew until we pass away. Baptized, to be built up, to be sent out. That is our great commission calling. We want to be sent out from this place to go and make disciples. This is our commission. Would you say, bring them in. Say, bring them in. Y'all say it with me. Bring them in. Build them up. Send them out. This is our calling in the Great Commission. This is what we've done for many years here. And I pray by God's grace is what we do for many more years, that we bring people up through evangelism. We build them up through discipleship. And we send them out on mission to their workplace and to the ends of the earth. It was an incredible joy this past week to go to Ghana, an experience that I will never forget. It wasn't easy to get there. Friends, the Great Commission calls us to to go and to see God's mission activity happening in this place in Ghana. But I am gravely mistaken to go over there every morning and to share the gospel bed to bed to bed to bed for hours in the morning and then to go out into the, the little villages and help tell people about Jesus and then to come home and say, well, The Great Commission is completed, I'm done. The Great Commission is not bound by a time or a place that we go to. It's what we do as believers. It's who we are. It's in the core fabric of who we are. The Great Commission and the Great Commandment are who we are. It's not go once and be done. It is everywhere you go. You are baptizing and making disciples because at the end of the day, look at number three, the best news that I can possibly give you is behold, I am with you. Jesus said it in both Mark's gospel and in Matthew. He said, behold, I am with you always. And behold means, look at this. Hey, check it out. I'm with you. Don't miss it. I'm with you. This is the greatest news that you as a believer could ever know. All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to Jesus, and he is with you. The gospel opened. Get this for a moment. Pull in real close. The gospel opened with Emmanuel, God with us. That the God of heaven would come down to us. The gospel story opened with Emmanuel celebrating Emmanuel, God with us. And how is this gospel going to end? But I am sending you out and I am with you. Man, it's like God is telling a beautiful story. Emmanuel, God with us. And then I'm sending you out and I'm with you. Can I tell you how good it is to know that God goes with us 
Brittany and I lived in Birmingham. I've told you the story that our house got broken into a couple times. And I recall coming home that first time and coming in, walking down and seeing that a window was broken and immediately fear begins to grip your heart. Kind of opened the door a little bit and then realized, saw stuff scattered all around our house that uh, I was, uh, you look at my frame, I'm not gonna beat anybody up today. And so I decided to step out and call the police. And so call the police and sitting out there, you're just, you're, 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 you're kind of like, ready to go. You just don't know what to do. You're just, I'm, I was afraid, you know, I don't I have any means of doing anything. I'm just kind of there looking at our house broken into and not knowing if anybody is still inside, not knowing what I should do. And so stood there just kind of stunned and not knowing what to do. Fearful. Call the police and the police get there. And then there's something about the authority of the police that it felt like, hey man, let me have a gun. I'm going in with you guys. I'm ready to go, man. I got the police with me. Everything's good. Everything's cool. There's something about those sirens going off and the police getting there that all of a sudden the fear just left. Something about the authority of those people going in and knowing that everything, that these people are right beside you. There's something about the God who flung the stars in the sky that's over all things, who's authoritative over all things, that he is with you. He's with you when you're alone. He's with you when you're hurting. He's with you when you're grieving. He's with you when you're grief-stricken and hurting and lonely and afraid and depressed and angry. He's with you when things don't happen the way that you thought they were supposed to happen. He's with you when things don't work out the way that they should have. He's with you when you're frustrated. He's with you when you're doubting. He's with you always to the end of the age. He has not yet left you. He has not yet forsaken you. He's with you always to the end of the age. And so those that were with Jesus and they were doubting and they were worshiping, what did they do with this great commission? You see in Mark chapter 16, verse 20, what does it say at the bottom of your outline? And they went out and they preached everywhere. If you had to close the book on the book of Mark and you were to take away one thing, I pray that we would all do Mark chapter 16, verse 20. It would be my prayer for every Sunday morning. And they went out and they preached everywhere. That would be our goal. And they went out and they told everybody. And they went out and they shared the good news. And they went out and they lived differently. And they went out and they made disciples. That's our calling. That's our goal. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. That all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. And so you command us and call us out. We pray in these next few moments as we have a time of invitation that we would invite you to lead us. As we sung earlier, oh Father, use this ransom life in any way you choose. Father, Father I pray that those were not just words from our lips, but those are the desire of our heart. We see this great commission calling that we would go to the ends of the earth. Father, I pray that we would start with those closest to us. That as we go, we are making disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to observe all that you have commanded. 
knowing that you are with us always to the end of the age. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.